Cleveland County 911. I don't know if I should have called this in or not, but... What's going on? If I'd have a camera, I'd take a picture of it. Take a picture of who? I don't know what, I don't know what it was. He's walking upright like a man. I would not kill it because I was afraid to. But he went back up the mountain. Kamase va. You are listening to the Bigfoot Gumbo Podcast, where we focus on topics like cryptids, the paranormal, and UFOs. But to mix it up, we will also cover things like current events, entertainment, food, mysteries, and other interesting things. From Bigfoot to Boudin, we got you covered like a big pot of gumbo. So this is October, which means Halloween is coming. And it just happens to be our 13th episode. So I thought it would be fitting to share some paranormal and spooky stories to get you into the mood. First up, I thought I would recommend three of the scariest places in Louisiana that you need to visit before you kick the bucket. So whether you're a skeptic or a believer, visitors and residents of these places swear that they are haunted. You have to decide for yourself, but don't say I didn't warn you. First up on our list is the Lollarie House in New Orleans, Louisiana. The Lollarie House has been called one of the most haunted locations in the French Quarter. And although it's now a private residence, you can still walk right up to its exterior. Known for its extremely morbid history, this historic building was once the home of the prestigious Madame Lollarie and her family. According to legend, Miss Lollarie was extremely cruel to her slaves, chaining them up to walls and performing unnecessary surgical procedures on them. Many people lost their lives in this evil home and one slave even jumped to her death to escape her master's wrath. So if you find yourself in the French Quarter, swing by 1140 Royal Street to get a glimpse of this magnificent home and reflect on its sad but true history. I've personally walked by this home many times and it's definitely creepy. Second up on our list is the Manshack Swamp. I'm very familiar with this area and I pass it often. It's located between New Orleans and Baton Rouge on I-55, just north of Laplace, Louisiana. Manshack Swamp is not only really creepy, but it's supposed to be haunted too. Legend says a voodoo priestess named Julia Brown, also known as Julie White, lived in the Manshack Swamp in a small fishing village named Frenier and predicted that her death would take the lives of many others too. Strangely enough, in 1915, on the day of her funeral, a hurricane 
hit and kill many of the people in the town of Frenier. Today, people still report hearing a woman scream or a voice singing the song Julia Brown was heard singing the day of her death. And the song went like this. One day I'm gonna die and I'm gonna take all of you with me. If that's not creepy enough for you, then I don't know what is. You can visit this area for yourself by taking the Cajun Pride Swamp Tour located in Laplace, Louisiana and learn even more about this area's history. You might also want to stop at Frenier's Landing Restaurant for some great food and a great view of Lake Pontchartrain. I've gone to this restaurant a few times and it's really good. Third on our list is the Myrtles Plantation in St. Francisville, Louisiana, north of Baton Rouge. This historic mansion was built in the late 1700s and is considered one of America's most haunted homes. I visited this mansion myself many times and there is definitely a strange feeling to it. Many photographs taken on the property feature eerie figures and apparitions such as the famous Chloe postcard in which the translucent figure of a slave girl can be seen standing against a wall. I've seen this photo for myself and I must say it's pretty creepy. In another photograph of a visiting teacher and some of her students, you can clearly see the image of a young girl peering through the window behind them. Overnight stays and guided tours of the Myrtles Plantation are available, so this is definitely one place you want to check out. Just be prepared to be scared. So there you have it, folks. That's my list of the three scariest places in Louisiana that you need to visit before you kick the bucket. And all three of them are definitely worth a visit. Bigfoot Gumbo would love to hear from you. Send us an email or join our forum if you have a story you would like to share with us. Your story may appear on a future podcast. Also, please help support us by liking us on social media and sharing us wherever you listen to your podcast. A nice rating would also be appreciated. Thanks for your support. So our second story is about something strange in New Orleans, and I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. So if you're visiting New Orleans, you expect to find strange and weird things, from the Lollerie Haunted Mansion to weird people walking around the French Quarter. But if you find yourself on the outskirts of the French Quarter, you have to visit the famous St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. And there is one strange grave in the cemetery that stands out from all the others. But we'll get to this story in a minute. Now I'm sure you probably don't make it a habit to visit a cemetery when you're traveling. But you must check out this historic cemetery on the corner of St. Louis Street and Basin Street. The cemetery spans just one square block 
and is the resting place of many thousands. The architecture of the graves and the history of the graveyard make it a must-see. Many interesting people are interned in this graveyard, including William C.C. Claiborne, the first American governor of Louisiana, the renowned voodoo priestess Marie Laveau, and Paul Morphy, one of the earliest world champions of chess. Also, Delphine Lollerie, the notorious cruel slave owner who was mentioned in a previous segment of our podcast, is also believed to lie and rest here. And just so you know before you visit, effective March 1st, 2015, the Roman Catholic Diocese of New Orleans, which owns and manages the cemetery, has closed it to the general public mainly because of the rise in vandalism there. However, in a controversial move, the diocese is now charging tour companies for access, which amounts to $4,500 per year or lesser amounts for short periods. Families who own tombs can apply for a pass to visit. Personally, I don't blame the church for doing this. They had to do something to save it from the vandals. Now, as I mentioned before, there is one strange grave in this cemetery that stands out in a very peculiar way. And what's also strange is that no one is buried in this tomb. This tomb is the future resting place of actor Nicolas Cage. Back in 2010, Cage turned 50 and made the decision that he wanted his final resting place to be in St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 and he wanted his tomb to be built in the shape of a pyramid. He also purchased the Lollerie Mansion and a chapel, but unfortunately for Cage, they were both foreclosed. But luckily for us, not the pyramid-shaped tomb. This tomb is massive. It takes up about four normal-sized grave plots and is nine feet tall. It's gray and has the Latin motto, Omnia ab uno engraved on it. Now if this sounds familiar, it's because it was used in the Cage action-adventure film National Treasure. It translates to everything from one. If you do visit this tomb today and get up close to it, you'll notice that it's covered in kisses. I guess fans of Nicolas Cage want to kiss his future gravesite. Nothing strange about that, huh? Now, some say that this tomb and its pyramid shape is proof that Cage is a member of the Illuminati, a supposed quasi-mythical organization that controls politics and popular culture, according to some. Another theory is that Nicolas Cage is into voodoo. Some say he had a voodoo priest bless his marriage to Lisa Marie Presley, Maybe he wants to be buried by the renowned voodoo priestess Marie Laveau. We may never know the true reason why Cage built this tomb. Maybe it's just what a strange guy like Cage does with his money. So there you have it, folks. That's the strange story of the Nicholas Cage tomb in St. Louis Cemetery No. 1 in New Orleans. You can get a glimpse of it on Google Earth. And strangely, there are two pyramid-shaped tombs visible in this graveyard. 
but the cage tomb is nearest Kantai Street. You can't miss it. So I hope you enjoy this story, and I hope you get to visit this historic cemetery. And for our third and final story, we hear from our field reporter, Bobby Francis. Now those of you who are true fans of Bigfoot Gumbo will remember Bobby back from episode two when he gave us his first field report. So we're really excited to have him back and hear his latest story. Take it away, Bobby. This is field correspondent Bobby Francis, AKA your best friend, checking in to Bigfoot Gumbo. This story comes to you from a personal note of myself uh, in the house that I, that I grew up in. Uh, it's a little bit paranormal, a little bit freaky. Uh, some things haven't been proven or disproven, but they still all remain relevant. So in the house that I grew up, born and was out of there about, you know, early 20s. Two-story, very, a lot of spacious. I don't know the square footage correctly, but the living room was a vaulted, very tall. It's a two-story, and the living room was vaulted. It was uh, probably about, let's say, about 30 feet up, 35 feet. It was quite high. And so whenever you're in the living room, you can look up and see the, this huge ceiling fan. But then the second story was a loft it started off right there and it was always dark up there because we just <laughs> we were too lazy to replace the lighting the light bulbs in that light fixture right there because as soon as you came up the stairs and hit that loft it was it was a weird it was like a spiral staircase but as soon as you hit that loft there was a light switch there that you could hit and it would illuminate that first little loft area it was probably like a 20 by 15 space and and it was, you always had to go past that area and walk past to the next room or the bathroom to get to the next light source because that one was always out. So I remember one time I was probably about 11 years old and, um, and at this particular night, I'm the youngest of four and my mother was gone and the house is old it was built in the 70s this is like in the 90s and whenever you're in the living room and you got this huge vaulted ceiling and the upstairs is dark so it feels like darkness is just looming over top of you and just looking down and so nobody else was home it was just me watching tv all the lights were out except the tv it's you know 90s whenever you're watching saved by the bell this is just what you do and i remember hearing this door open and then slam shut upstairs. And man, I tell you what, nobody was supposed to be home. Nobody was home. This was not the best thing in the world. Not the best feeling in the world. And I just, I just played it off as in, okay, well, that was just probably the wind because my mother would leave her door open upstairs or her window. And that would create a draw or a vacuum in the room and draw her door closed. So I just figured that her door was open and it shut. Well, then heard the door open again and then shut again. About that time, I was like, man, should I just leave out of this house or should I just burn it down? Those are basically my options. But went up and I just mustered a lot of courage. And I always would ask my mom if the house was haunted or not. And I'm looking back now as an adult, I can't remember why I would ask her that. But obviously, I felt a certain way about it to where I thought that it would be prudent enough 
to ask her so I could get an answer to obviously validate some sort of feeling that I was getting. But whenever you're 11 years old around, you know, you arm yourself with the biggest butcher knives that you get because it works in all the scary movies. Why not? And then you proceed to go upstairs. So as I proceed to go up this spiral staircase to the second floor, I'm going to go ahead and say, one, these, these steps, they never got wider than 10 inches. So this, all these, all the stair, all the stair steps going up to the second floor from the spiral staircase, they would start from the base, uh, about four inches wide, and then they would go toward the railing system, which would make it about 10 inches wide. So from a safety standpoint, going up these very narrow steps with a butcher knife, not safe. From a tactical standpoint, I would say very exposed and vulnerable. Looking back at it now, I probably should, you know, should have went up with, you know, I don't know, a stick of dynamite or just like chunked it into the loft area. But going up the spiral staircase into the darkness, as soon as I got halfway up the stairs, I just felt it get dark. Just the light was below me at my feet, and it was nothing but darkness from my waist up. And whenever I start going up the steps, step by step. The, the loft, you can first see the floor area, and then you go a step higher, and then a little bit more of the floor area gets exposed, and a little bit more, until you're at the very top of the staircase, looking into that loft area, which goes into a very short hallway, and then it leads right to my mother's bedroom. Like I said before, I don't know if we were just poor, or just lazy, probably both, to change out the light bulbs in that fixture, but you have the option to illuminate that loft area as soon as you get to the top of the staircase and those lights were, those light bulbs were never new. So I tried it just in case. Yeah, no shot. Lights were still out. So with butcher knives in hand, I proceed to walk into this dark area. I hear the door open and close again. About this time, it's, it's probably about 15 feet away from me very scary stuff. Man, hardened nerves of steel, or basically just petrified, or I might have fell forward. It don't matter. So, I walked all the way up to the bathroom, which is right next to my mother's room, just to get a light source. So, I threw my hand in there, flipped on the light switch. Okay. Felt a little bit better about that move, but still got to find out what the heck is making this noise. So, a couple scenarios jumped through my head right whenever I come face-to-face -face with my mother's bedroom door. If there is an intruder... Uh, you know, do I agree the intruder? Hey, intruder, you're not supposed to be in here. Check out my knives. Uh, don't, don't know what kind of conversation is going to be had. Again, it's, it's going to be ad-lib at this point. So I'm just basically trying to, trying to be as professional as possible, make them seem like I'm a legit 11-year-old with knives that could do damage and, he, and the person better leave right then and there. So, uh, it made sense at the time. Don't question it. It's just how it went down. And so I open up my mother's bedroom door and... And her light, again, which you have the option to illuminate the room, and I don't know what, what is up with it. Looking back at it now, we really didn't change light bulbs. And, and for the hindsight's always 2020, and it could have made my childhood a lot less scary. So again, as you go into any room, you always have the option to turn on the fan or turn on the light right there at the door. Well, all the light bulbs in the fan were out. So you can turn on the fan, which did me no good, but in order to turn on any light in that room you had to go to the farthest wall and turn on the lamp that was right by the bed 
right in enemy territory with just my fully semi-automatic knife that I got, you know, at 11 years old that I'm clearly not trained with and anybody can see. But, so again, I take a big deep breath and I do not walk. I run as fast as I can across this 15 foot deep by 15 foot wide room. Might be more than that. Probably 20 by 25. I was a kid. My measurements suck. So I dart in there and I turn on this light and I look behind me to see if something's about to chase after me or if I'm about to, you know, be the, the most easy, scary movie victim in history. And there's nothing. Okay. Well, at this point, I'm like, all right, clearly this intruder or whatever this was, this phenomenon, clearly like saw me coming. It was like, well, this 11 year old kid is legit. Let me go ahead and duck out of sight. So I, it probably went into the closet or went under the bed. So I check under the bed and it was a king size bed. And man, I never knew you could fit that much junk or dust underneath the bed, but there was nothing under there, but you know, hopes and dreams and probably Christmas presents from four years ago. And I said, okay, so I hopped up. I was like, all right, the only thing left is this stupid closet. And so I get up and I open the closet and this thing is just impacted with nothing but clothes, useless things from the, the early 80s and basically every every dead fashion sense that's ever, that's ever come and gone in the past four years. So I want to make sure there's nothing in here. So I'm, I'm looking through everything that smells like mothballs and, and depression and there's nothing in here. I'm looking through all these garbs, moving all these bags or whatever that are on the floor and there's nothing in there. I'm like, okay, what in the heck was that? What made that noise? And as I'm looking through the closet, my back end is exposed on what I thought was a cleared area. I hear the door shut, slam shut again. I didn't pee myself, but I was close. And so I'm looking around and I look at my mother's bedroom window and it's open. And then I remember that the door to my mother's bedroom would never close all the way. The, uh, the lock mechanism for the, uh, for the, the knob, the little, the little plunger lock that would come out whenever you twist the handle, it would retract. Whenever you let the handle go, it would go back into place. It never made true contact inside the, uh, the door frame, the door jam. And you could actually just, whenever you close the door, you could push it with your finger and it would open. And so with my mother's window being open, I figured out that that's what was pushing the door open whenever a breeze would go by, it would, it would create positive pressure and push the door open. And then whenever the, the wind would go past the window, it would close it. And this was, this was very light wood. Like it, there's no way this was anything that you would purchase from Pier 1 Imports or any type of respectable furniture or door store. This, this door was like a very light hollow composite. It was, it was basically made of every popsicle stick that you ever found in a kindergarten classroom, but made to look like it was cherry wood mahogany stain. So after this threat had been assessed and I realized that I was just 
freaking out for no apparent reason, and it was just a big, dark, scary house, and I was only 11 years old, and I missed my favorite episode of Saved by the Bell. Um, I proceeded to leave all the lights on upstairs, just to make sure, and then I went back downstairs and turned on all the bottom lights for good measure while I continued to watch TV and have the rest of my family come home and you know, see the triumphant 11-year-old kid who put all the butcher knives back, but also didn't get killed by nothing. And I easily increased our power bill by $28 that, that very night. You know, and every, every light that I did turn on was not a light fixture in a large area, obviously, because that just would have made things easier that night and I wouldn't have a story to tell today. But it just goes to show you whenever you're in an old, dark, creepy house and you're young and and all you have for survival tactics are everything that you've learned off of movies and extremely poor television shows that you watched on USA or Naked Night. Just do what your boy old Bobby Francis does at a time like that. Grab the biggest butcher knife, go in head first and try not to pee on yourself. Hope this has been a good one and a spooky one. This is your field correspondent, Bobby Francis, a.k.a. your best friend, your BFF, coming to you live with Bigfoot Gumbo. Thanks for that scary childhood story, Bobby. It was really great, and we're looking forward to your next one. Here's some breaking podcast news. I wanted to let everybody know that we are now available on iHeartRadio. So if you have the iHeartRadio app, do a search for Bigfoot Gumbo and listen to our podcast there. And make sure to follow us so you get the latest episodes. Thanks, everybody. Well, that does it for episode 13 of Bigfoot Gumbo, which was our Halloween special. I hope you enjoyed the spooky stories, and I hope they get you in the mood for Halloween. October happens to be one of my favorite months because it finally starts to turn cool down here in southern Louisiana where the summers are so hot. This weekend we had our first cool spell, and I must say I really enjoyed it. It's also a great time to find some really good Oktoberfest beers. I hope all of you have a great October, and I hope you enjoy your Halloween. Stay tuned for episode 14 of Bigfoot Gumbo. Keep it spicy, everybody, and laissez-la-bon-temps-rouler. This show was produced by Fofolet Productions. Correspondent in the field, Bobby Francis. Checking in live, mic check one, two. One, two, check mic. Check mic, mic, mic check. Mikey, checky. One, two. Francis, Bobby. Bobby Francis. <laughs> I am your BF in the field, Bobby Francis.